we didn't start with our usual intro, just forgot to do that, but oh well. Welcome to the Approach Podcast. I'm Rob. This is Drew. Drew, how are you doing, and how was your Bermuda? Uh, it, you know what? It was okay. We were somewhat profitable. Um, things look, I, I had some six out of six lineups. Things look better, kind of crumbled on the weekend, which was disappointing. Uh, but overall, it was fun. Saw some carnage out there, especially on Sunday. Um, but no, it was a good week, and I, you know, it it took a complete player to to kind of hold it together throughout those conditions on Sunday, especially early on. So um, it was a good week, and uh, we had back to kind of seaside here. Yeah, and congrats to the the Herberator at Lucas uh, for kind of. He wasn't. I didn't have any share of him, and he wasn't even on my radar until I think his great round Saturday that kind of put him in the final group. But gosh, yeah, I, I kind of doubled or more than doubled the field in six of six, and with Pendrith kind of being in yeah. the lead the whole time, I, I was in a really good a good spot. But like it normally does, it can kind of all fall apart on Sunday, and with the wind, it's kind of all that elements. But we were talking on the show last week about how great of a DFS week that was. And I just want to kind of give an example of the winner who dropped, uh, won the drive the green M Pendle, who's a great DFS player. Always. Uh, it seems like every other week he has a great lineup, but he, he had his lineup with Reed at 14% callings at seven Higo at five Herbert, obviously at six Knox at 18 and McDowell, at three. So obviously Knox, who was, you know, a, a chalky play and he had a yep. great Sunday that really kind of helps, but some single digit guys, the only um, Reed who was the, if we're talking about tiers was the lowest in that top tier, but a lot of single digit guys. And he um, kind of what we talked about with creating your player pool had different golfers that were weighted higher and had that pyramid structure. And so Pendle just he deserved to win it because he had the right strategy with game theory lean and then also creating his lineups with that pyramid type structure. You know, his I think he finished fourth place in that same drive to green and his that 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 lineup only had one different golfer. So the lineups are very similar. And that's what you want with the period uh, pyramid type of player pool construction. Well, anything else before we just move on to Mayakoba down in Mexico? No, what I mean, the one thing that I'm sure was an excitement to him is the way Scott Stallings played in those conditions on Sunday um, was just hands down the best player in the field. Um, so, no, that was uh, that was about it. Again, I think that we talked about earlier in the week, you know, Lucas Herbert was clearly able to control his, his golf ball, hit it low. And uh, and that was huge when when they went through stretches of tough conditions to kind of just hang on to the round. Um, and so he did a fantastic job and it was certainly a grind and a uh, fantastic victory yeah I, I obviously we saw heavy wins thursday heavy wins sunday friday and saturday were just kind of normal for what we see kind of bermuda so it just you had the all-around game and when you have all these variables and we talk about it every single week why not go the game theory route and say you know what what's the benefit i know in hindsight we could always say but what's the benefit of having a lineup with multiple or eating multiple players of chalk which a lot of lineups right. were in in, in a week like that, why? And it doesn't. And so Pendle pointed out perfectly about how you want to kind of construct a lineup for for a week like this. So we get a different week, and I'm really excited about this show because we're doing something that we kind of conceptualized what we wanted to do this show when we were kind of creating it. Is that sure. you know having a lot of great people on the show to kind of collaborate and share ideas with, and that's what we do this tonight. So I'm going to introduce them one by one because I think it'll be pretty cool, and I'm going to 
to share their screen as we do it one by one. So we're going to start with Jason Sullivan. Jason, how are you doing? I'm doing good, man. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, well, super happy. So you're a co-host of Fairway to Heaven on DSM Media. So check that out on Twitter. You obviously do your your Friday or your Thursday night NFL show. But also, we want to we want to kind of toot your horn is that you do the course report for Fanshare. Yeah. So you're a Fanshare contributor. So we got to love that. And you're doing a great job. Read it today uh, and super helpful. So congrats. Glad to have you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, this is my first time doing a course preview. So I'm loving it so far. I really feel like, you know, doing the research on Saturday and Sunday kind of gives me a leg up on, on, you know, everybody else as the week, you know, I'm already, in, I'm already starting the research process a bit early. So it's definitely helpful. And I like doing it. Yeah. One thing we make it in, I may ask you later, but one thing it's gotta be helpful because I think the 90% of people, you know, read, there's so many good course previews out there like yours and PGA touts and Mike from the cut line. They're all great. But one, one thing that can happen is if we're all reading just maybe just three, then groupthink can happen. Yeah. And so then that can get a problem. And so I can imagine that, yeah, doing your own research on the course is helpful. But I want to get into the next. We got Scott Holdred. Scott is a big supporter, big fan of the show. He's he's awesome. Always sending love. But we played golf in college, I think you said, at the D2 level. But now is just killing it in San Francisco Owns a bar, doing great things in DFS. Scott, how are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. Uh, just to correct you, I played mediocre college golf. Nonetheless, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. man. I saw a lot of really good golf. I did not play it though. But yeah. Well, well, <laughs> we're glad to have you though. And so maybe if you're not been played the way you wanted to, I bet you can handicap some good golf, and that's what we'll get into next. So I wanted. I want to bring David in now. So David, we were just talking off off show is a litigator, but has about four and a half years of DFX experience. A good golfer on his own ride, a ten handicap, like you said, David. So David, thanks for coming on. And how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, you know, this is a first for me as not a content provider, but as a content consumer. It's a lot of fun to be on here with you guys. I'm big fans of what you all do, and happy to talk about it all. Oh, excellent. And that's a great point because, you know, I, I think, you know, when you stay in your own subjective reality to like I, your subjective reality and then DFS is this is how I create lineups. This is my strategy. And when listeners of this show just hear Drew and I's own reality, then, you know, they're just getting those to subjective reality. And so when you bring more people on here, you get, you know, more knowledge is power. And so that's what I see with this. So I'm, I'm glad you're a content consumer because, you know, absorbing all that information leads to maybe more power in DFS. We might get into that. Well, let, let's just dive in. And I'm going to start just with Jason. And my hope is, is that this can just kind of branch out and to be more of an organic conversation. But I, I want to talk about maybe what your all's weekly strategy is. And if there's anything specifically that you took last week and bringing it into your strategy, you want to highlight just because last week was kind of so crazy. But yeah, to just be specific about it. Tell us about a little bit of your weekly strategy as it relates to DFS. And Jason, why don't you lead us off? Yeah, for sure. So obviously, we kind of mentioned I, I do write the course preview each week. So that kind of starts off my week in terms of doing research on the course, finding the key stats of the course. But one thing I kind of pulled from your guys' show, which I really, really like, is, okay, I'm going to find the five or six stats that I think are most important. And then I'm going to find some stats that maybe aren't being talked about as much throughout the week that I think could play well, or guys that don't necessarily fit the typical, you know, 
course for the horse, you know, horse for the course mode, but I think they can blow up on the course and play really well. So I'm kind of looking to be a little bit different in my research. I usually typically start from the bottom as well. I know a lot of people start from the top. They want to get the flashy plays in there. I typically put a lot more time at the bottom trying to find those sleeper plays. I know, Rob, you like those 6K guys. So I try to do a little bit of that each week. Um, So I find probably five or six stats each week that I'm really going to focus on. And then I try to find the two most important stats. I just recently started doing this, and I found a lot of success. If, If the most important stats are putting and approach, say, in a given week. I want to find guys that really excel in those two categories. And I'm going to focus a lot of the weight of my model on those two categories in hopes that I'm not pulling up on the same exact guys that everybody else is. So that's kind of the what I do on a week, weekly basis. Um, two, uh, another rule that I kind of play by is that I never play chalk over 10K or under 7,400. That's kind of how I differentiate myself. I don't mind playing chalk in the, in the sevens and eights, but I like to stay away from it at the top and the bottom end of the, of the spectrum. Well, I, I, I really like that. And, you know, obviously there might be some weeks where that doesn't work out in the 10K chalk hits. But yeah. if, it, if that is a part of your strategy, you want to be consistent as possible because unrealistically is a goal that says I'm going to finish in the top percent of a GPP every single week. And that's just not that'd be that'd, that'd be great, but that's just not reality. And so we want our strategy to keep being consistent because when it lines on, you know, maybe a leak like like last week, even though Pat Reed was uh, in the 10K, but he wasn't chalk. But Fitzpatrick and Desait Nude and all them were, you know, it, it could have worked out. Well, and then Scott, I'm just going to come to you then. What about you? And, and what's your weekly strategy and what works for you? Well, so far, uh, it's been, I kind of do three categories and I divide my time up of game theory, kind of gut calls, and then data. And every week, it's game theory keeps being more and more emphasized. Um, and less and less data actually. Um, and then I, uh, I basically, whatever the narrative everyone's talking about, I emphasize basically the reverse. So last week and this week, everyone has been talking about driving accuracy. And last week we saw, you know, guys were only hitting the fairway 35, 45% and still posting 65, 66. It's like it was nothing. So this week I'm kind of going, all right, obviously, you know, we love hitting the fairway, but who misses it and still does well? So who scrambles and who putts um, is kind of what I lean towards for this week. Um, And I kind of do that every week. Um, So that's kind of the, and then chalk as well. I sort of reverse chalk. So each category, who's the lowest own that's at 11 or 10. And I kind of go, you know, they're there for a reason. So if you're in a PGA tournament, you are really, really damn good at golf. Um, and if you make the cut, you got a chance. We saw that with Stallings. Um, I think he made the cut on the number and was 12 under in two days, top T5. So those are kind of things I'm looking for. Yeah. Well, I, there's one thing that I love, or there's a lot of things that, that I love about what you said, but one thing specifically, and I may just – you know, change the conversation after we're done with this into maybe this topic. And that is within game theory about maybe moving away from data, like strokes gain information and leaning more on game theory. We just had a conference call with Fanshare um, on Friday night. And that's one thing we were talking about is that the masses, like where the trend is moving with just the average Joes and DFS is, well, we have to research strokes gain data and we have to go on sites that 
present it so we can internalize it. And that's great for handicapping. But, but and not to keep kind of pushing the fan share narrative, but it's it just what we talked about is one thing they highlight, they don't give a lot of strokes gain information on their site. We're kind of talking about should we, since that's what everybody expects. But we're, we more go into kind of leverage and the whole game theory aspect. And I've been saying it all along, and we all on the conference call said that 90% of DFS players would be a lot better if they – maybe 50% had less energy into the strokes game data behind it and had more energy into the, the, the game theory aspect. So maybe we'll kind of talk about that because it's fascinating and a lot of people don't get it, but I do really, really want to move on because I want to hear what David has to say. So David, yeah, please share me. You've been doing this a while. Share with us your, your strategy. Sure. And on that point, by the way, Rob, I, I took a look of the top 30 most owned guys last week. Only six of them uh, finished at a place higher than their salary rank. So, you know, if Reed was had the fifth highest salary rank and had the third most DraftKings points, there were only six out of the top 30 most owned guys last week who outperformed their salary rank. So it was something that you, know, you all talked about last week in terms of handicapping versus playing the game. And, you know, last week was kind of a perfect example, at least for me, of how my strategy is different every week, right? I mean, last week was just, you know, uh, given the field, given the conditions, you know, given that there was some group think around some pretty fragile guys, right? I mean, to say that, you know, someone like Knox is going to be 26% owned, right? We're not talking about Tiger Woods in his prime. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, some of those, and some sometimes the chalk hits and that's fine, but my process each week, my strategy each week differs. It really depends on the field, the tournament, the contest I'm playing in, the contest size, you know, where we are in the calendar, right? You know, my strat my strategy for the Masters is different than my strategy for Mayakoba, right? Just given everything that, you know, I'm trying to shoot at, you know, the prize pool size, you know, you look at some of the prize pool structures, you know, they go from 100K to 10K, right? So that may inform, you know, the level of risk I'm willing to take. Am I big game hunting that week and I'm trying to hit the top? You know, am I just playing single entry and three max? So given all that, I mean, from where I, from where I come at it, you know, I, I start by listening more, you know, my, my process is really to spend Monday, Monday night, Tuesday, just listening to what people are talking about in the industry, doing reading, you know, but it's really with a game theory uh, approach, right? Because I, I lean more towards game, game theory, like Scott was talking about, you know, it's a lot less data for me now, because I think most people in the industry are more data focused, like you said, Rob. So, you know, I want to hear what people are talking about while I'm starting to do my own research, but I also don't want to settle on a play on Monday night and then be, you know, kind of have that in my mind. So I really kind of combine the, the research and the, the processing. And then usually by Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, a core has started to appear in my mind. And then, and then I do the, the leverage approach that you mentioned at the outset, uh, you know, and get some conviction and get some courage and make some lineups. Yeah, I, I love it. And I really appreciate what you talked about, how it can change versus contest, because I think we can kind of be vague and just assume in our language that because because we're talking about large field GPPs. But if you have a 100 entry or not 100, but 100, uh, you know, max entry for the whole contest, well, only 100, you're competing against 100 players, you know, that's going to 
changed every single variable almost. So, so I really appreciate about how, how you bring that up. And so, so now I just kind of want to move into some, some, some discussion. So if you have something to say, uh, Drew, Jason, you know, Scotty and David, anybody really um, just kind of jump in, but I, I may just kind of then go back to that game theory piece and maybe filter it in with an idea of, okay, what do you think the biggest mistake you see from an average DFS player? And to give you an example, there's so many content providers out there and there's a lot of great golf handicappers, but what I think is a mistake and kind of you know, makes me turn away is when people describe golfers that this guy is a great DFS play and you're talking about a salary and then those stats, but you're not even mentioning ownership. And what that tends to do is those readers who are reading that, we're kind of then learning or telling our brains not to look at ownership anyway. So it, it really kind of bugs me. So that's a mistake I think people see is maybe not to consider ownership as more as like a currency, like set, like the salary is. So I'll, I'll kind of shut up and let's just kind of ping pong in a little bit. Well, what do you all think is the uh, biggest mistake that you see in DFS? Yeah. I mean, I'll start real quick and, it's interesting because again, like to your guys' point, like strokes gained to me, it can be a crush sometimes because we're trying to look at things. Everybody has access to all of this and everybody talking on one player. Okay. That's fine. To the ownership perspective, my question to, to kind of you guys is once you're, and, and I like the idea of, you know, we're using game theory, we're using our gut and we're thinking of that. Once we build this player pool and we have these ownership projections come Wednesday or Tuesday evening into Wednesday, at that point, are you guys kind of looking at the player pool and then based off ownership, kind of <clears throat> kind of you know, adding or subtracting players just to be different? Because again, the ownership is key, right? It, we're trying to build these lineups that are, are value and they're different and we're trying to think different than everybody else. So like when we get to Wednesday morning or whenever you guys do end up submitting the lineups getting everything in how what is your you know your approach when we have this player pool that we feel comfortable with are we then going back to, to kind of the projections and kind of weeding out things and trying to gain an advantage that way 100 uh, drew uh you know once i have a sort of a core in mind and some weeks i'll do as jason suggested and i'll start from the bottom some weeks i'll start from the top i think it depends on the field you know last week i was more inclined to start from the bottom to the middle you know, just given the strength of field, you know, this week with a stronger field and plus guys, if you've been playing DFS every week, right, you know, the corn Ferry guys who are now playing this week who are at lower salaries, you know, so we're all familiar with them. Uh, but yeah, so I will absolutely take a look, you know, come Wednesday when there are real good ownership numbers out. And if I'm choosing between two guys, uh, ownership definitely plays a big factor in it. I think the biggest thing for me too, that it's not so much individual ownership that I'm worried about. Obviously I factor that in a little bit, but I'm not just going to fade a guy just to fade a guy. And I think that's one of right. the biggest mistakes that people make. They see, you know, any given week, say, just say Tony Fino, he, he comes out and you see him at 24% ownership and you're like, Oh, he's 9,800. I could probably find a better option. Well, I feel like that's just, you're just kind of blindly going into that. I I'm more concerned with trying to keep my overall ownership at a certain point. You only need, you know, two, maybe three stretching it even, guys that are a little bit different you don't have to go crazy i think people are so concerned now like like kind of what you you guys have all said is that there's so much knowledge out there everybody knows so much they already knows this, the stats and and the, and the game theory side of it i think people just get so concerned with that and trying to be different just for the sake of being different where it's like 
I'm fine with you being different, but I want to hear why you're being different. And I want to, and mm. you know, I want to have a good argument in my head. And of course, if two guys are even and one guy's at 25% and the other guy's at 8%, of course, I'm going to take the 8% guy, but I just don't like blindly fading people. Yeah. Makes sense. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I one think, other, okay, oh, sorry, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say one other mistake that I see, uh, it comes with, uh, you know, a little, slightly different, but, uh, you see guys just want to play a little piece of this guy, a little piece of that guy, and you end up yeah. with a player pool where there's no leverage. I know it's, it relates to ownership, obviously, but and not so much last week, but you're, you're going to head into, you know, when you get, especially with, with a field like this, where you get more of a better field, you know, you're going to see, well, I don't really know who I want to play of the nine and 10 K guys. So I'm just going to play them all. Great. Right. I'm going to play a little bit of all of them. And yes, I have a player pool of 97 guys, you know, spread across my, my 25 lineups. And undoubtedly, I have the nuts in there somewhere, but there's no chance of the combination hitting. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I think that's a great point is I think, you know, this is this is literally the same as anything else. This is a skill. So stick to whatever process you develop. Don't really take huge pivots off it. Um, you know, if you whittle it down to a player pool, stick to your player pool. Um I think one mistake I see is, you know, like I said, I use less and less data each week and it's just this endless rabbit hole of like, what's going on? This guy's, uh, this guy's an Aries. He should be uh Mercury <laughs> retrograde. Why is he not making left to right clutters? It's like, all right, let's take it easy. Um, so sticking to your process, not going crazy with data. Cause I think it's, you know, it, data doesn't lie but it doesn't tell the whole truth so like last last week with driving accuracy you know there's you know uh some players that are going to be chalky this week i think you know they miss the there's guys that miss a fairway and then there's guys that really miss a fairway and you know this week you're going to be out of bounds as opposed yep. to anywhere else where ah he's just going to scramble from the rough he's fine but you know i think those are kind of kind of things just stick to your process make make your goals and don't budge from them you know what's funny too is i feel like kind of going back to the data thing i feel like four or five years ago it was such a huge advantage to have a site like i mean fantasy national wasn't around back then That's, but i feel yeah, like it's such a big advantage to use the stats whereas now like you said everybody's got a membership to a different site so it's becoming less and less important and the game theory is becoming more important now because there's so many sharp people that play dfs especially golf yeah, and that, that's why there's so many good golf handicappers, but that maybe cannot be so consistent in, in DFS. And David, you, you said, or again, everybody said some great things, but there's one thing I wanted to touch on because I see it all the time when people might reach out and say, hey, here's my pool. Largely, a lot of amount of people make their player pool too big. And yeah, it's that maybe fear of missing out or that you know we can rationalize or justify that says, hey, it, the more guys I have in my pool gives me more win equity of the tournament, we think. But in reality, no, it's not giving us that combination of six guys that can be optimized to, to kind of win a GPP. It's uh, really kind of uh, appreciate, you know, you kind of bringing that up. Anything else that as we kind of maybe just discuss all this, that a, a strategy tip or or another uh, mistake we see maybe might come to mind or come to light? Anything else that you guys were, were thinking about? You know, I, I think, Rob, I think you hit it really on the head, which is, 
Uh, and you guys said it last week in terms of, you know, less of a focus on golf handicapping, which is fun to do and obviously important yeah. for, for betting, for outrights. Absolutely. You know, for having a discussion at a bar as to, you know, why this guy should be better than that guy next week. No doubt. But for this game, you know, as, uh, you know, as Jason and Scotty said, these guys are all really good. Right. And they're there for a reason. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I really do think that, you know, you could probably do this really well if you didn't have the name next to the salary number. Yeah. Yeah. Right? You'd yeah. probably be better at it. I literally do oh, that. I'll, I'm looking at data or just pricing. Like, I'll just cover up the, the name. That's awesome. Yeah. It's like, hey, we all have someone who burned us. And right. you, you take it personal for some reason. And to that point, you know, Rob, you and I talk about it quite often. Just because the guy, you go through your process, you build your player pool. Just because a guy goes out and has a terrible week, one, doesn't mean the process wasn't correct. And two, right. that doesn't mean we just immediately jump off of the guy, right? Yeah. It, golf is not summed up in four rounds. It's it's a total of, of what we're thinking and what we're looking at. And and that's, you know, so quick. Everybody's, hey, blacklist this guy, blacklist this guy. We can't play him. Well, maybe you were just a week too early. That doesn't mean your process yeah. was wrong. But I think that's a fault of a lot of people is that they just hop off of, a, of an individual player because that one week wasn't the week for them. And, and it, it pissed them off, you know, and. And so they decide we'll go a different route. And you see that all the time. And the ownership shows it, right? From guys that are playing every week, especially those guys up top. Like we see it with, we saw it with Patrick Reed, especially recently. You know, Patrick Reed's been having not a great run here recently. And so you see that his projection ownership numbers are super low, even in even in fields that just aren't very good at all. Um, and so everybody just jumps off that guy. And so I think if, if your process and what you're doing on a week-to-week -week basis, you're confident in, there's no reason to waver off of that just because of a bad week from an individual player. Yeah. And, and Drew, you, you kind of speak so well because of your history within the game about how golf can fluctuate so much. You can go shoot your course a course record uh, one weekend. The next weekend, you shoot 100. And that I know we're not professionals, but there's, there's some variance with it within the, the pro game as well. And, and I'll, I'll just share a little bit. And I was telling uh, somebody last week, and just this is to kind of change the subject a little bit. What, what gets the most clicks and what gets the most likes within this golf betting DFS community is if you, if you can kind of present a unique strokes gained data interpretation. People love that and you soak it up. That's and so I, you know, I used the game theory thing back then because I was like, you know, people are spending too much on it. But if you wanted to grow a Twitter following, you post, you know, how you can kind of, uh, you know, the insight that how you analyze that data. But but what what it does, I think, is I think yeah, you you were talking about it, David. You're sitting at a bar and it's fun to do that, or maybe that was you, Scott. But it makes us feel or makes us appear more intelligent than than we are. It's like, whoa, this guy last 24 rounds is gaining on yeah. approach and all this. And so, yeah. it, and maybe it also affirms us that I bet this guy or I like this guy. And so, you know, that makes me sound really smart. So I, I get yeah. to, that makes me comfortable to play that guy. Uh, but unfortunately, nobody talks about the game theory. So yeah, I, I just wanted to share that. Well, I mean, as you guys mentioned, right, it, it's given how smart the, the DFS golf community is getting, you know, through the work that you guys do and others do, and you know how sharp everybody is. That's all kind of baked in, right? I mean, the you look at projections, right? The strokes game numbers are baked into projections, and by the time initial ownership comes out, right, that includes 
somebody's view of, well, this week, you know, driving accuracy matters. And, or this is a week where course history matters, or this is a week where current form matters, right? So it, it does kind of get baked in to begin with. So I think where, you know, where, where the edge is, you know, where the strategy is, all right, well, what do you do with that, right? So I see the, you know, you see those initial numbers on Tuesday, right? You know, Fancho does its initial, you know, ownership run on Tuesday, other sites do the same. And then you kind of look at it and say, all right, well, what's behind that? You know, why is so and so 30%, you know, projecting a 30% on this week? Right. And then figure out what to do with it. But, you know, as Jason said, and I agree with it, uh, there is plenty of good chalk out there. You know, I mean, to be different, just to be different. That may have, that was my Bermuda strategy, which, you know, you guys talked about last week, which I happen to agree with. But going forward, like that's not, a, you know, every week a, a plus EV strategy. Right. I mean, the good plays are the good plays for a reason. And some of them are worth playing. Yeah, you know, I think I another. Yeah, go ahead, Jason. Oh, sorry. Uh, another big thing that I think it's kind of way off topic, but is contest t- contest selection. And I think you hear so many people say that you make sure you're picking the right contest, but I think it goes deeper than that. You got to kind of find which contest play to what you do better. And I just yeah. recently started playing really small field events in both football and golf, and I've had more success probably in the past two months than I've had in the last year combined. Just because I, I'm finding out that. I'm not always the best contrarian player, especially in football. I've been doing that recently where you know, maybe I'm a little bit more of a chalky player when it comes to football. So I've, I've been playing in these, you know, a thousand people or less contests and just having a ton of success. So I think finding where your bread and butter is, it could be cash. I mean, it just depends on what kind of player you are. And I think finding that contest and kind of sticking to the, your, you know, your bread and butter really pays off. Yeah, I'll say just one thing real quick is that in golf, yeah, one great way to build your bankroll is those three entry max, single entry or smaller field uh, contests. But if you do have a role and, you, and if you could support yourself for gosh, like 12 contests in a row, the edge you have on entering 150 lineups or hundred or more, we'll just say in those large contests whole holds up because not only if you enter more lineups, you get more opportunities to be contrarian, to get that Lucas guy at at 7%. But also the majority and the vast majority of those fields are squares who are entering five or less lineups. Well, on top of it, your lineups are already going to be more game theory-like, but also you have a huge advantage over the, the majority of people who enter. Yeah, the payout structures are not so great, but – we're playing for first and if you can if you hit one gpp win a year and it's in one of those contests well you've made your year by sometimes 20 to forty thousand. so i just wanted to say that i think it's a great point because i think uh you know for uh, goes back to you know a mistake uh you know depending on on who's listening uh you know kind of figuring out what the goal is right uh you know, you're absolutely right, Rob. You know, if you're able, if you have the role where you can max enter, and it, you know, it could be the, you know, a quarter buy-in, but you're better off, you know, throwing 150 lineups than that, um, and playing for first, right? If that's if that's your goal, right? But, you know, as uh, as you guys were saying in terms of process, you know, with that, well, you know, you have to expect to lose, and you know, you, I had a wonderful process last week, and you know, as I mentioned before the show, you know, Antomayakova. You know, it's golf and his variants, and you know, I wasn't on Herbert, and you know, away we go. But you know, I go back and look at my process, and you know, I'm just happy with the process. But you know, I lose way, way more weeks than I win. But when I win, in theory, you know, I win big. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, there's we people. Have... Oh, go ahead, Drew. No, no, no. I'm sorry. I was going to say, and there's people that that to your guys' point. What's the contest for you, right? There's people that like to play in a lot of the GPPs, but also back that up with playing in a bunch of these double ups, right? And that allows you to keep the bankroll up to an extent. And the more that you can keep in the bank, the more you can play in these GPPs. So, yes, absolutely. You would. You, the more entries you can get in, the better. However, some people, and and I'm not kind of the double up guy. Maybe I should be, but but I think that's also kind of an option to keep the bankroll going to an extent. Because um, really, you're just having to beat fifty percent of the people that you're in there with. And so when you sit back and you think to yourself, "Well, hell, I, there's there's a great chance that I'm better than fifty percent of these people. I know more." Whether you do or you don't, that's you know that's that's a different story. But some people like to keep up the bankroll like that. It is very important to to you know Jason, to your extent, and and David as well is. The lineups that you're getting in are are important, and of course we focus on kind of like the main GPP and getting that, you know, getting that done. But if you're playing DFS from the perspective of you're you're trying to maybe nickel and dime your way or try to build slow profits to where you have a bankroll where you can start playing these bigger games, there's definitely options there. Um, and and so you got to figure out what fits for you, right? And and we again we typically talk about trying to play in the in the bigger lineups and whatnot, and. And that just because we talk about that doesn't mean people that are listening can't find value in different in different places and kind of just figure out what works for them, whether it's a 10 cent, it's a quarter, it's a dollar, whatever it is, figure out a way to build a bankroll. Then when we have some money saved, then maybe we can throw these uh, these lineups into a bigger, uh, you know, a bigger pond. Yeah, a th- thousand percent. Well, I'm going to move this on because we have less than 15 minutes remaining and l- l- let's dive into some early leans. And so I'm just going to set the you know, structure at 8K or above. So we're looking at guys 8K or above. Who would like to start and maybe naming a few guys that you like and you can kind of give some rationale as to why that may be. I'll throw out one. Um, And I'm really interested in your guys' thoughts on it. Um, So I'll, I'll throw out Taylor Gooch. And the reason that I like him is I... I personally am more of a form over course horse guy. Uh, and Gooch has been playing well. I mean, he's at a p- price that's probably a little bit high considering the, the strength of the field. But, you know, and I think that'll probably keep his ownership down a little bit based on who's around him. Uh, but, you know, obviously really, really solid form over the last, you know, number of months. Um, so I'll start it there. But I'm interested in how you guys think about someone like that, you know, as you on an early lean basis go ahead rob i was gonna say you know how rob <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> you know, I, I i'm a huge gooch fan and kind of talked about him towards the toward last year just because how how talented he is at a golfer and we're finally seeing his um you know how good of a ball striker he actually is hasn't won yet but i, I love that play Rob, I feel that you've given him so much support. If he ever gets married, you should be at that wedding. Well, he he, he is married and he has two kids now. Opportunity. Well, he owes you some beers or something. Well, my, my hope is my hope is if I if I do win a GPP, I might send him a message on Twitter, ask him to come on the show, and I'll pay. Nice. Hopefully, it's not outrageous, but an appearance fee to get him on. I mean, Taylor uh, Gooch appearance fee shouldn't be that that expensive. Right. <laughs> I'll I'll throw a guy out there. Um, 
And it's going to be, for me, I think, again, we talked about this week. I think it's going to be a ball strikers week. Um, I think Sergio Garcia is an interesting play for me. Um, anytime we deal with – and Rob and I kind of hinted on it last week. Anytime we deal with these windier conditions, I like to take like a ball striking guy that I know is going to be consistent. Uh, and that's Sergio for me. Statistically wise, I'm not going to stroke Scania like we've talked. that We, we tend to sometimes use a crutch, at least, at least me personally. Um, but I think this golf course sets up really well for him. He's sitting there at 8,700. Um, at this point, he's definitely going to be a, a person in my player pool. Again, great off the tee, great tee to green. We all know that the putter is kind of what what you know makes him go and makes him not. So, and and you know, a lot of the times we talk about putting travels, right? But we also see that guys get a hot putter on a given week. Uh, and I think opportunities for birdies are very important. And I think Sergio will have a lot of those this week. So he's a guy that I'm looking at in that that eight to nine range right there at 8,700. Nice. I love it. So I'm going to go um, with a different play this week. Aaron Wise. And I, I think he might be relatively high on this week. But this is a guy that's always been a good ball striker. We all know that. But he, he's always been a terrible putter. Well, recently he's not been such a bad putter. He's actually been a pretty good putter lately. He's gained in putting four of the last six tournaments. So I like Wise a lot this week. I think he will be higher on just because his form's so good. Fifth at the CJ Cup and eighth at the Shriner. So obviously he's playing good golf right now. But if we're talking ball strikers, Aaron Wise is right up there for me at 9,600. Nice. Uh, I, got a, I got a few guys in the 8K, but um, I think seeing Mito at 8,100 compared to, you know, this whole fall season, he's been in the 20s at Fortinet and – uh, you know, he was getting called a prodigy and all this. Um, yeah. So finally seeing him at 8,100 and especially I like playing guys and uh, Bazenhoot right below him at 8,000. You know, last week these guys were both super high owned and they didn't win. So I don't think, I think their ownership is going to be really low. And they also, I mean, these dudes are studs. And I think these greens, I mean, Bazenhoot's a great putter. Mito, that's people kind of can knock his putting, but these green complexes are so basic, and this is going to bring a lot of mediocre putters into the field. And I think those are good plays at hopefully low percentages, but great, great starts to build a lineup around. Yeah, no doubt. And, and I'll just share one real quick. And th th that's Matthew Wolf at 9,200, which I think will be very low owned, especially at that that number. Um, right under Reed, who, who played well. Uh, Sergio Gooch might get some ownership. But I, I will say this isn't a, math, a Matthew Wolf course or course that I wouldn't think of him on. You know, he he's, his weapon is his driver, and he can't use the driver on every every court, I mean, yeah, every hole here. Point. But I do want to say Mike from the cut line had a really good course preview that talked about, and I can't remember the exact percentage, but it was the the average of top 10 who finished well at the top 10 of Mayakoba this year, all rank in the kind of upper tier in driving distance. So while accuracy is important, and then we've had guys like Brendan Todd and Kucher win, but out of the whole top 10, driving distance holds a little of importance. And so maybe with that, that might make Matthew Wolf a play, especially at low ownership. But we saw at the Shriners where he finished second, gained almost four on approach. So uh, he's definitely going to have a better year than he did last year, but I think he's going to be low owned and that might be a sneaky play. Anybody else guys in the AK and above range that you think might be a, a good play? 
I feel like it's hard to not talk about Victor Hovland at this tournament. I know he won last year. Right. He's probably going to be super highly owned, but when you're talking ball striking again, I mean, if he can get it going with the putter even a little bit and around the green, those are obviously his two weaknesses. If he can get those two areas going at all, I mean, he could easily win again. He's just a phenomenal ball striker. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, th- I think to that point, Jason, you know, given – I obviously Hovland will be pretty popular. I imagine Answer will be pretty popular given the, you know, the home narrative. Mm. But so the lower 10K range, right, Horschel, you know, who nobody really likes yeah. playing 10-3 for – uh, you know, or whatever he's low tens and, and Hatton also low tens. Uh, you know, who are, there are a couple of euros who are here for the first time and you're kind of wondering why they're here, how committed they are. So you could imagine the narrative, uh, you know, negative narrative around those guys, you know, especially when a lot of people are going to want to click on uh, answer on Hovland on JT. Uh, you know, I'm going to be giving some thought to the lower end of the 10K range. Uh, you know, as you know, maybe one pivot. Yeah, I'm so I'm all about Hatton, and I was bummed that Horschel's in the 10k. I was hoping he was going to come out in the nines, but I mean, he's basically he's basically uh, English at this point. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, you sure as hell. And I mean, he wanted uh, Wentworth tree line right. course. You know, I think it's going to be fast fairways and slow greens. Um, that's right into Hatton's hands. That's right into Horschel's hands, and a lot of the Euros in general. Um, but yeah, I love those two up top. I yeah, like, yeah, Billy Horschel is an interesting play because uh, yeah. you're, I mean, across the pond, he's been playing fantastic. Um, and this is kind of a golf course that you would, you would think that, that he would play well on. He's actually had past success here. What he was last year was T5, right? So he's got some course history here and he's probably going to be relatively low owned, um, I know my question to you, Rob, because I know the guy that you like to play when he's relatively low owned is be Brooks Kepka. Mm-hmm. Do you do you expect him to be low, you know, somewhat low owned, being at the bottom of the 10K range? And does that intrigue you? Because I know you're a, a low owned Brooks Kepka guy. Yeah, I do think he'll still be low owned just because he's playing terribly. Uh, hasn't gained on approach in I think three tournaments, but over the last last six, he's only gained on approach once. And again take it for what it will but as as i project he actually kind of is projecting to lose the most on approach out of any golfer in that range so it but again that doesn't predictions don't predict the the, the future so we'll, we'll just kind of see but i'll just say one other guy and i do i do think he'll be popular and especially he, we're already seeing his name kind of be highlighted in betting outrights and that's russell henley so russell henley on um, just strokes gained ball striking type of stats so approach off the tee it will, will just light up the board but he's lost strokes game putting for the last five tournaments. And at the CJ Cup, where he finished 25th, he lost five strokes putting. So over, And so I like to look at maybe the return to norm. And so if you do like Russell Henley, over his career in 216 measured rounds, he's actually gained stroke putting. And so I don't think we'll, we'll, we'll see him lose strokes game putting in a fifth consecutive tournament is my point. And if his ball strike continues – Maybe he maybe he'll be good chalk, but let, let, let's go to seven k and below. This will be the the range that if you get if you get this part right, you'll win a GPP. So who, who do you all like? And I know it's Monday, but yeah, where are you leaning? I'll, I'll throw out uh, Seamus Power. I mean, nice. I, I just can't I can't quit him. Uh, yeah. Me either, man. Me <laughs> either. Just so solid. Uh, you know, I, I don't have his, uh, you know, his ball striking numbers in front of me, but I They're know, good. His, They're yeah, good. I know, yeah, I know that much. 
He's been solid every week and, you know, played well last week uh, and at a you know much lower price this week. You know, I could see him definitely being part of my core, at least as I start to visualize it. Absolutely. I like Gary Woodland this week a lot. Um, I feel like you kind of mentioned, Rob, earlier that you're going to keep the driver in the bag a lot in this course. And there's a few guys on tour that are better with their three, their three wood than Gary yeah. Woodland. So I like Gary Woodland a lot this week. I think yeah. he's probably going to be pretty low owned. He, I mean, he did have a ninth at the CJ Cup, but for the most part, he hasn't, his long term form has not been good. So obviously we know he can do it. He's a major champion, but I think he might be a low owned kind of GPP play this week for sure. Yeah. I, I also, I got, woodlands anyone that hits a stinger like that i'm all about on i mean it's unreal and i you know i think he's kind of going through anytime you win a major your life changes and you get a new equipment deal you got new demands and you know we saw this with mcdowell with uh schwartzel all those cats that you know they kind of glover they lay low for a few years and then they start trending back and i hope he does that but i think someone else i put uh, in my seventh day is uh, uh, Ian Poulter, who this isn't a long course. This guy's a scramble machine. Um, if he does get wayward off the tee, it's not a sexy, cool pick, but in in a six-person lineup, why not? I agree. I'm actually going to go back to, to Taylor Pendrith this week. Um Really solid week last week. Again, he struggled, shot five over in the conditions that were on Sunday. Um, but overall, I think he was he was really good. And his off-the-tee numbers, uh, the last 24, ranked first in the field. The um, it, So for me, I'm going to go back to him. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see, of course, how ownership shakes out. But the, the way he played last week, again – the way it was Sunday for a while, it lost him the golf tournament. I mean, really the conditions for a while there, he was just bleeding out while Scott Stallings was going back crazy out there with what he did. It was like he played a different golf course. Uh, but I'll go back to, to Pendrith this week, um, and we'll see how the, the, the ownership shakes out. But everything kind of tells me to go to him. We talk about form, which – to, to David's point, I mean, form to me is is more important than course history because just because you you had a good year last year, your game could be in a completely different spot than it is coming into this week. Um, so he'll be a guy that I'll play, and he's he's at the low seven thousands at seventy two hundred. Uh, so he'll he'll more than likely be uh, be a guy I'm looking at. Yeah, and we we won't get the conditions we see in Bermuda this week. I mean, it could be windy. Again, it's it's next to the ocean. But if you had a golfer that played poorly last week or that didn't finish as well, I wouldn't get off them because, you know, we're not – it's it's tough to they're kind of carry that game from, you know, a regular PJ tournament and then you tour event and then you go to Bermuda where it's just all hell broke loose and you're coming <laughs> back to here. Yeah, Bermuda's like you draw a line through it. But I'll, I'll just say a couple guys, Adam Hadwin and Justin Rose and then 7K. But I, I'm, I might kick us off in the 6K range. And one of my favorite 6K range golfers is Jimmy Walker. Hmm. So Let's with, go. I'm going to shut up and listen. <laughs> so what do you all think? About Jimmy Walker? No, just about 6K. Oh, I, love I love Jimmy Walker. Yeah, there's not not a whole lot to talk about Jimmy Walker. He did shoot a 60 um, playing around, I think, with his buddies last weekend. So maybe keep that up. But, yeah, Jimmy Walker, who, who do you guys like in that 7K below range? So 6K. 
Uh, I got two that I eyeballed. Uh, I like Garnett. Uh, I like playing Garnett in coastal courses, and I know that's part of what's going on here. Uh, and the other one, and this definitely goes under the heading of just block out the name and you know start to look at the numbers. But you know, down in the six Ks, I'm just looking for something. You know, to Jason's point, you know, I, some something to support uh, playing them. And I saw Sun Kang has both some pretty good recent form and some pretty good recent history for somebody at six point three. So that's somebody that I'll uh, be doing some more digging into. Let's just hope that Sun Kang is not 25% owned again. Cause that was right. Yeah. That was crazy. You want to go ahead, Scotty? Uh, yeah. Six K. I was I'm excited to hear you guys' takes, but uh, I had them last week and I've been following them. Uh, is uh, Thomas Dietrich. Um, I think he's a young young kid that's pretty dang good. You know, he's he's right with uh, Jimmy Walker. So, <laughs> you know, I think, God, I don't know what he was at last week, but, you know, throw that out. Um, but, yeah, he's someone I like his all-around game. Um, I think he could do well here, kind of under the radar. Um, so I'm going with him, and then I got to, you know, dig a little deeper. But so far, that kind of stuck out to me. Well, so I've D- like a t- talent, very talented. Yeah, I'll just look at is so talented and had yep. and had a great round Saturday. Um, yeah. But yeah. Anyway, so yeah, go ahead, Jason. I like the Dietrich call. Um, I have two that are just they just kind of fit the narrative of this course. I feel like shorter hitters, accurate guys off the tee. Um, Ches Reeve, he's yeah, had really good course history here. Yeah. Four top twenty sixes in the last five years here. So I like Ches. I think he might be pretty popular this week. So I'll kind of yeah. wait and see on that one. But the other one's Brian Gay. I mean, everybody liked him last week as a returning champion. He finished twelfth, which so he didn't really let anybody down last week. And he's got I think it's like five or six top thirties here too. So obviously a really good putter. It hasn't been in great form recently, but I could I could see him doing pretty well this week. So I like both those guys. Shorter hitters that are that are gonna putt. Yeah. I love that. Um, I was I'm in on Ches Revy as well. Um, the other two guys I'll give you. I I, I, I am intrigued with G Mac, but I'm not there yet. Uh, G Mac did have a really nice week last week, but I'm going to go back to the the you know the Chris Kirk wagon. I'm, it's something that you'll find me on very often. Um, he just does a lot of. He doesn't do anything great, but he does a lot of things really really good. Uh, and then I'm going to go with the wild card here. I'm going to take Brian Stewart, whose form has been awful. Um, but he's one of the top five putters in the field. Uh, he's, he's second in fairways gain, so he does hit a lot of fairways. Um, going to be low-owned because people are going to see he missed five of the last six or maybe six straight cuts. Um, but for this golf course, it's kind of something that I like. And he's at 6,300. So I definitely think it's worth uh, worth a shot of, of playing Brian Stewart this week. I love it. I love the Stewart call. Good GPP flyer. He would go really low owned. I love that. Well, guys, I know we kind of went longer than we were supposed to, but I really appreciate your all's time, and I really appreciate your insight. Guys, the insight is incredible. We need to have everybody back. This was this has been a lot of fun, and, I, and for me, very informative too. But before we just kind of let you guys enjoy your Monday evening, anything else before yeah we go? No, I mean, hey, oh. like you guys say, trust the process, stick to it, yeah. and have some freaking fun. You know, it's it's awesome. I think this is the best fantasy sport to play. You get four days yeah. of it in a week. Mm-hmm. It's it's up, it's down. 
you're throwing your phone because Lebiota missed the cut. And, <laughs> no doubt. Uh, it's so fun. I, I love it. So. And I'll just say thank you to you guys for coming on. Like when Rob and I started yeah. talking about doing the show before, it was this was kind of like what we were. I feel like you know we're on a weekly basis, which is great. But I feel like more of this is is fantastic, and I appreciate your guys' time and coming on and just kind of shooting the breeze with us. So so thank you very much, and of course, good luck to to everybody this week. Yeah. Anytime, guys. All right. Awesome. Yeah. Y'all, thank you very much, and good luck this week, and we'll see you later.